Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, a special weekly episode that is a compilation of games that content creators have played recently. And this week is a short holiday season episode because, you know, everybody's busy. (laughs) And on this episode are are The Meeple Dungeon, Board on the Air, Meeple and the Moose, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, while you're letting that stuffing and... Yeah. Massive Turing holiday machine. season um, supper. Not the Turing machine, my mistake. Kind of Turing machine. Yeah. Sit there. So this tap is on the show notes and check out the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. Cracking. Hey, you know, old school punch enjoy. card computing system. Um, <laughs> this is this is a very hello everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And we have one game to talk about this week. What game is that, Anna Marie? That game is The Turing Machine, designed by Fabian Gradel and Yuan Levitt, art by Sebastian Bezos, and published by Scorpio Masquet. Yeah, Turing Machine. Um, yeah, not The Turing Machine, my mistake. Turing Machine. Yeah. So this is based off of a code-cracking, old-school punch card computing system. Um, this, is, this is a very unique game yes very very unique game so what you're trying to do is is guess a three-digit code yes using literal like old 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 technology computer punch card technology and it is just wildly weird you (laughs) you have a main uh, that should be on the box it's wildly weird (laughs) you have this main (laughs) kind of board with um uh, five, six different sections to it A, B, C, D, E, and F and each one of those is going to correspond to a different clue um, that you can decipher yeah. using a certain card <laughs> <laughs> this is this is very difficult to explain if you don't know what I'm what I'm looking at in front of me. So yeah, you've got like you've got the code cards so they'll be for example, it will um, on the Oh, I'm going to mess this all up. Okay. It's very so difficult to explain. You're picking a three-digit number. And um, let's say you picked 421. You're then going to take these little cardboard pieces that have the, you all know, the punches. punches out all of them. them yeah. So let's say I'm going to pick the blue triangle as the first digit. And so let's say I picked the four. So it that always one goes blue, orange, purple. Yes. In, in that order. And you pick a number for each one of them. Yes. Yeah, so you've got blue first. Then you're going to pick the two and the two is going to be the yellow or the orange. Or yellow or whatever. And yeah. then the one is going to be the purple because that's just the first digit is blue. Second is yellow. Third is purple. Yeah. And then. And you just pick, you start with a random. It's like I go, yeah, like you said, 421 yeah. or whatever. That's and you name. have, you have a stack of these cards. So you're going to get them and you're going to put them in order. And then, so they all pile together, and there will be some holes that are open that yeah. where they all overlap. 
Yeah, you lay them on top of each other to make one single square. Yes. And it's going to like... It'll have a gap in it. holes open and certain yes. ones covered. And, and yes. then, um, let's say you're picking one of the clues they give you. Yeah, so because let's, uh, we should say that there's... You pick a scenario yes. that you're going to go for. And then that scenario is got a different clues. code hidden in it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to give you up to six different clues to help you figure out that code for that particular scenario. Yes. So you'll you'll look at the clue that you, you know, you choose what clue you want to look at. Let's say I look at A and A is telling is going to say this is going to tell you how many fours potentially are in the, the number that you chose, like, are mm. there, um, you know, is there exactly one four? Are there more than one four? Are there no fours? Like that type of thing. Yeah. And, and that what will be attached to a, a, another card. Yes. So then you're going to have, there'll be the clue card. And then um, next to the clue card, you're going to have a square, which matches kind of the size of your number sheets put together. Mm-hmm. And that will have a bunch of um, check marks and X's on the back of it. Yep. So then you put it against the back of your cards yeah, you slide it in the very back. The very back. And then in the little gap that's left in your punches, you're going to get a green check mark or a red X. Because there, there's that's only going to be one that's available. Yeah. Those cards will only overlap in one way. And depending on the scenario you picked, it's going to tell you, okay, there is one. You have 421 as your number. There is one four in your number. You're going to get a check mark. You know, if it's like there is one four, check. Perfect. Yeah. Using that certain arm with that certain clue and that certain card to put behind it is going to say, like you said, the number of fours. And if you see a green check mark and your number was 421, you know you that can, there is exactly you one know four. That there is exactly one four in your code. But you don't know if the four is in the right spot. Exactly. So you have to now go on, move on to a different arm of this machine to figure out a different clue go down one of the other paths that may say uh maybe that let's find out if the blue number is bigger or smaller or equal to the purple number yes and then you have to deduce using these different arms of this machine to figure out what number you're looking for and the object is to try and figure out the number in the least amount of clues clues given or taken possible yes because so you can pick up to three clues per, per round. round. Yes. And so then at the end of each round, um, you're going to basically together decide thumbs up or thumbs down if you want to make a guess at the number or if you still need to keep going. If yes. Thumbs up. You got a guess. Great. If the other person had thumbs down, will you make your guess? If you're right, you win. The, you win. Yep. Um, if you're wrong, you you're lose. Out. You lose. <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're out, right? So... You have to, but if if you both say, yeah, okay, I uh, we think we got it, then you look, and if you both got it right, then you need to see how many clues you each have given. Whoever got mm-hmm. it in the least amount of clues wins, or you share the victory if you got it in the yeah. same amount. This is less a board game, more of an activity. Yeah, but well, um, but my goodness, brain <clears throat> brain burning fun. It is, yeah, <laughs> I, and I'm very poor with numbers and things like this so like and i think I, you've done very well i've done pretty good honestly yeah i have i've done okay at it so for even a guy like me that's not a numbers guy um i can still participate in this and actually do fairly well i keep up and with i would hazard a guess to say you enjoy it no i do no i do it's <laughs> i didn't know what to expect from this and 
I was intimidated out the gate because there's a few nuances to it that I just was not understanding. Yeah. But once I did kind of understand what it was trying to tell me and what I was supposed to look for, yeah, I do get it now. So I think I can apply that to whatever scenario comes because whatever scenario you pick, the the different arms and different clues are totally dictated, entirely different yeah. from from one scenario to the next. So you might have like that card that says it's going to tell you how many fours you have, but that card that that arm of the machine might not be in the next. Game, no, for right? sure. Or for likely won't be. Yeah. Right? So this game is just wildly crazy. Oh, yeah. It's, it, <laughs> it is, is a lot of fun. It's really, it's interesting. It's fun. It's neat. It's, uh, if you're it's a numbers person, too. you're going to love this. Um, if you're, even if you're not a numbers person, I think you can still have some. A puzzly. If you're a puzzly person too, yeah. right? You like those Yeah, it's a puzzle is what it is. Yeah. But it still is numbers and uh, yeah. So. <laughs> But no, it's it's interesting. It's cool. I Definitely, really like uh, it. I think it's awesome. Recommend you giving it a go if that interests you at all. So I think that's it for this week, and we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. So this is based off of a code cracking, old school punch card computing system. Um, this is. This is a very... Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Bored in the Air, a weekly radio show in Saskatoon, and this is What Have You Been Playing? On tonight's show, we're going to talk about... First Rat. Yes. A one to five player game? Yes, it is. It's really fun. A nice, simple game. I would say probably if you're rating games from the zero to five scale, probably a 1.2 to 1.5 yeah, I, w- I would say it's not extremely light, but not medium by any means. Yeah. Uh, in it, you are going to be moving your... Or so, in it, you are rats trying to get to the moon to get to the cheese. And you are collecting stuff to build different uh, parts for your rockets. And you're also building stock... Stock hole or like uh, stockades of uh, cheese for for the trip, and you're also bringing Tra- technology, electricity up to it, and wandering around the tunnels to make more rats. Yeah, and you're uh, training your rats to become uh, ratternauts. Uh, on it, you. So yeah, in the game, you do one of two main actions. For movement, and then everything else will usually happen as you go on. So Yeah, you move, you collect, you can buy from one of the four spots, and then you can, can contribute to the the rockets. Yeah. So you with your movement, you can move one rat one to five spaces, or you can move all your rats one to three spaces, but they all have to land on the same color of space. Yeah, and there's some abilities that are going to give you some uh, some stuff that breaks the game, like make some spaces look the same or same color. Uh, other ones that are going to give you extra when you collect stuff, and some that give you some more movement. Uh, you can also get some end-game, end-game scoring, scoring. Boosts uh, of resource collection, yeah. as you said. It, I've really enjoyed it both times we've played it so far. Yeah, we've played it at two, we've played it at four, or three. three. Both times, a lot of fun. Uh, both times, uh, the teach is fairly straightforward. You just go there and you get what it tells you. Yeah, the only thing that's 
tricky at all is counting how many you get because there there's a few different tracks you move up on and one of them is a light bulb track and if it's past where you land you get a bonus resource to what you normally would get of each area that activates. yeah each area you're stopping on uh you get that to the top and it's going to give you some points as well uh it's just a solid game. It's very cute looking. It's got a a fun theme, but but there is some some intelligence to this game. There is yeah. some uh, some thinkiness almost. Like there's been a few times in the game where I'm just trying to set my rats up to make one big move onto one color, like a big light ball move to get like ten movement. Yeah, and it's you can do a lot. It's it's not as simple as just move and collect. There there is some thought into how you want to do it uh there's two sides to the game board one that's set one that has uh randomization randomization that's going to give you a little bit more play as to a little bit more variety as to how the game is set up and how you're going to play it uh all in all this is a game that got a lot of buzz coming out of gen con and uh also at uh, I believe Essen, they talked about it quite a bit. And and the biggest thing they said is it's too cute to be as good a game as it is. <laughs> right? And I, I agree with them. It, it's, it's such a solid game. Yeah, like, this would be definitely... Like, we have a lot of friends who we love playing games with. I would not be scared to bring this out with them. Because sometimes you get these really heavy games that you really enjoy, but you're like, eh, will my friends enjoy it? Yeah, it, sometimes if the teach is too hard or it, the weight is just a little bit too heavy, uh, you, you can't play it with everybody. This is one of those games that anybody or anybody we play games with, we can put, bring it out for. Mm-hmm. It, and yeah, like, it just, the when you look, first look at it, you're like, okay, that's more for like younger people, but... There's stuff, there's the depth into it that's like, okay, am I just going to use my two rats that I start off with, or am I going to want to get more rats out? Yeah, it's, there's good decisions in this game, and it makes for a nice, solid, all-around game, and I I can see us playing it quite frequently just because of its weight, and, and its approachability, and its fun subject, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we'll talk to you next week. So this is based off of a code-cracking, old-school punch card computing system. Um, this is this is a very... Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleandMoose.com, and I'm here to talk about the games I played this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. So I know Canada has a reputation for being a frigid, snow-covered, barren wasteland, and where I grew up in Manitoba, it's true. It's the reason I moved to the west coast and live in a section of the country that barely gets any snow, an average of 33 centimeters or 13 inches over the whole year. This week, we got 40 centimeters in a single evening, so the entire city shut down for a week. My wife and I shoveled the driveway for what feels like the first time in an age, and my weekly game group met online instead. Now, I'm not really a fan of digital gaming. I miss the camaraderie of being shoulder to shoulder with my friends and the tactile feel of games. The plus side of going online, though, is that we get to play a whole different library of games. Games that we're interested in, but not enough to pull the trigger on acquiring a copy of our own. So the first game we played is Flamecraft. 
Now, I didn't back the Flamecraft Kickstarter campaign, but I was sorely tempted to do so. The regret hit hard when all those who did back the Kickstarter got their games delivered over the past few months, and I kept seeing Flamecraft all over my social media feeds. If nothing else, Flamecraft looks fantastic. One of the first things that gets mentioned whenever flame, the Flamecraft topic is brought up is just how cute the game is. The art by Sandra Tang is filled with a cartoony charm. Easter eggs are tucked away in every nook and cranny, and the names for everything are thematic, charming, and punny. So Flamecraft looks great, but how is the gameplay? Well, the game starts with a few shops around town and three dragons in your hand. On your turn, you can, you can visit a shop to gather resources or enchant the shop. If you choose to gather, you collect resources, one from every emblem symbol that is on the shop, and then you place a dragon from your hand into one of the empty shop slots. Activate a dragon that's in the shop, and activate the shop's ability if there is one. If you choose to enchant instead, you fulfill one of the enchantment recipe cards by turning in the amount of resources depicted on the card and place it above the shop that you're enchanting. This earns you victory points and makes the shop produce more resources on future gather actions. In addition, after you, after you enchant a stall, you can activate every dragon that is currently in that shop. And that's pretty much the whole game. You hop from shop to shop collecting resources and then trading those resources in to earn points. There's not much more to it than that. As dragons get placed in shops and stalls get enchanted, players earn more resources with each gather action, giving the game a good feeling of momentum. In the first round, collecting three goods is pretty good, but then come the end of the game, it's not uncommon to collect six or even eight resources from a single gather action. Similarly, the point accumulation starts off fairly slow, but it picks up rapidly closer to the end game. Everything about Flamecraft screams family game. Its cuteness is alluring, and never underestimate a good-looking game's ability to draw players to a table. Some of the individual turns can get pretty complex, as you need to manage several different dragon abilities and the order in which you want to execute them, and that can cause some analysis paralysis as players try to figure out exactly how they want to use the dragon actions to give them the edge on the game. Overall, I think I'm happy that I didn't back Flamecraft's deluxe Kickstarter. The gameplay is simple, the art is charming, and the puns are funny, but overall I don't feel terribly pulled to return to the game. It's kind of a straightforward resource collection and recipe fulfillment game. I don't feel like there was anything significant to draw me back to the experience, and the discovery of reading the pun cards only really brings enjoyment during the first game. The next game we played is My City by Reiner Knizia. Now, My City is one of the few legacy games that my group and I actually finished. 24 15 minute episodes broken into 8 chapters, it was easy to pull My City off the shelf to cap off any game night. The tile placement was satisfying and I don't think any of us felt completely completely outmatched throughout the entire experience. Today we decided to return to My City and play the Eternal game, which is the one-off, infinitely, infinitely replayable version of the game. The gameplay is the same. A building is drawn from a deck of cards and all players need to either place the building on their board or pass, and if they want to stay in the game, lose one point. Play continues until either the deck is exhausted or all players have passed and bowed out of the rest of the game. The Eternal game gives points for being the first to build on both gold veins, for every tree spared, for the number of buildings of the same color touching each other, for putting four different buildings next to the well, and for having a building of each color abutting the church. All fairly straightforward stuff, and likely conditions you've seen in your daily life. My City continues to, continues to charm and be an easy and enjoyable tile-laying game. It is so simple to follow along the flow of the buildings and the short-term goals of have a building of each color touch the church runs directly opposite to the long-term goal of have all the buildings of the same color touch each other. It can be a painful choice to give up a point to pass a really inconvenient tile rather than just trying to cram it into the corner and then maybe missing out on the piece that would have fit perfectly in that spot just a few turns later. 
Overall, I really enjoy my city, and the Eternal game is like visiting an old friend. It's not doing anything new or exciting anymore, but it's consistent and reliable. I'm looking forward to both my city, Roland Wright, and my island. Hopefully, both will show up in 2023. And lastly, another game by Reiner Knizia is Llama. Llama is not but a simple card game. A deck of cards numbered 1 through 6 plus a set of Llama cards, and a bunch of white and black chips. Each player is dealt 6 cards, and a single card is flipped over to form the discard pile. Players need to either play the same card that is on the discard pile, or one number higher, like putting a number 3 card on a number 2. If they can't or don't want to play a card, they can either draw a card or bow out of the round. The round ends when all players have chosen to bow out of the round, or when one player runs out of cards. Once the round ends, everyone with cards remaining in their hand takes points equal to each of the different card faces that they have remaining. One wrinkle is that you only take points for each different value you have. So having 4 5s in your hand would only net you 5 points, while having a 2, 3, and a 4 left in your hand would get you 9 points. Players keep track of their points by taking one white point chip or a black 10 point chip. If someone ends the round by getting rid of all their points, they can return a point chip back to the supply. When someone accrues 40 or more points, the end of the game is triggered, and the player with the lowest score is the winner. Llama is dead simple to teach and offers slightly stressful situations, like is it worth playing the 5 card from your hand if you have a couple other 5 cards, or should you play your solitary 6 and hope the deck will come back around to the 5 again? The ebb and flow of taking points and returning points to the supply can mean that someone who was in the lead for most of the game can fall from grace, and the player who lost the first two hands horribly can return all those points to the supply and still have a fighting chance. Llama is the kind of game that should live in your travel bag, as it's best played with friends at the local pub. And that's all I have to talk about this week. For more board game reviews, check out my blog, MeepleInTheMoose.com, and have a happy Wednesday. So, this is based off of a code-cracking old school punch card computing system. Um, this is, this is a very, Hey there, everybody. Norm here from the cardboard conjecture podcast. And, uh, on boxing day, we had, uh, re- we had, uh, relatives over like everybody. Yeah. And, uh, I thought, Hey, perfect opportunity. Not, not that, you know, I'm a game pusher on holidays that I'm ag- the exact opposite. But in this case, uh, I know that uh, my brother-in-law and uh, his son are big chess fans. And uh, so I brought out Onitama and I showed Onitama to them. And for those who've never played Onitama, the best way to explain to it, I mean, thematically speaking, your monk priests that are trying to take out the other competing temple. And uh, two ways of uh, winning is get any of your pieces your uh, smaller priests or your high priests, any of those pieces onto the steps of the temple or take out the high priest. And I'm using, I'm using my own terms because I, I, it's been so long since I've read what the proper thematic uh, identification of the pieces are, you know. And, uh, but yeah, it's chess on a five by five grid. But here's the unique thing is that uh, it uses... Uh, As the tagline says, assert your martial prowess by harnessing the power of various animal spirits. So in your martial arts, the moves that you make are based on animal spirits. And um, each, I guess, each component or each piece uh, follows the same movement rules 
as per the cards that are in play. Now, what cards are in play, you ask? At the beginning of the game, each player takes two random cards that are that display the animal spirit and the way that this animal spirit moves on the board, as I said, five by five grid. Um, and the, uh, the graphic interpretation when you look at the card is you see the, the five by five grid and then you see a darkened square which represents any of the pieces and the movement pattern that it can that it can do, and uh, of course it follows the same rules as you can't move off the board. And uh, when you finish a move and land on a piece, uh, if it's the opponent's piece, you can take it. If it's your piece, you can't land there. Um, so you get the gist of it. And what uh, what you do is when you use a move of the two cards on your side, the card that you use you you. You, disc you don't discard it. You move it into, I call it limbo. You move it into limbo, which is halfway in, in between you and the other player on the side of the board. And that is the card that they get after they do their move. And when they do their move, the card that they use goes into limbo. And that's how this rotation happens. Now, um, you can hang on to a card for as long as you want. And I'm referring to you, dragon card. Uh, because some of these, these cards have such fantastic abilities uh, as far as like the reach and the movement goes. Um, and there's some expansions, and uh, I think there's two expansions, which are more cards, more moves. Uh, this says it plays 15 to 20 minutes, but when you have two very strategic people playing, it can either take five minutes or it can take a half an hour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they had so much fun with this to the point where... Uh, I uh, showed them the link on uh, to uh, the both my sponsors' pages as to how they could pick this game up, and uh, I believe they did pick it up. So yeah, we got to play. I got to teach and uh, play Onitama and uh, encourage others to uh, follow this fantastic hobby. Uh, the other one that uh, I <laughs> I sat down with, uh, did some playing, and then and it's such a fast game, plays ten to thirty minutes. Uh, that I was able to play a couple rounds and then go and uh, and and do some more teaching. Um, and this one is, this one's funny. This one reminds me of of like hot hands. You know where where it's just that whole one person moves and the other one has to the, reflex, right? It's a reflex game. So I'm talking about taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. Act fast when the flip card actually is that taco, cat, goat, cheese, or pizza. So what happens is everybody gets a, a deck of cards, like there's a big deck of cards, and there, ha there are those pictures and words on these cards, taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza, and there is a uh, uh, narwhal. I think I'm saying it properly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everyone has a stack of cards in front of them, equal stack at the start of the game, and when it's your turn, depending on the, and it's on the back of the cards, it does say those words, and basically in turn order, you take turns going down that list, saying that word and flipping a card over. If it's not a match, you proceed. If it is a match, everybody goes to slap a hand on the deck. The last hand on the deck picks up the cards in the middle. And uh, basically, yeah, it's this whole get to finish off your deck first kind of uh, strategy of winning the game. Um, and uh, oh, this one... Boy, oh boy, there were some house rules that got really, not house rules, there were some rules that were attended to very diligently. And this is the flinching rule. Because if you make, if it says if you make a motion towards the, the deck, that you, you take the deck, right? There's no flinching. 
but it, we even got it to that if there's a shoulder move it's yours right to, we were it was down to the most high noon on 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 the on the middle of the dirt road looking at each other you know hands waiting for those for that draw and the moment someone even like the lip even flickered someone was ah flinching take the pop <laughs> But uh, as far as as far as understanding the the rules, uh, straightforward. I mean, it's so much fun. And of course, I mentioned that narwhal. And uh, you know what? I'm not even talking about that. You go discover this game because it's such a fun game, uh, and it uh, it's just a, it's a giggle. It's a giggle fest kind of game. And uh, the last one I quickly want to talk about here is one of my. F- now I was gonna say, I was gonna say one of my favorite flicking games, but it's not. We know Crokinole. But if there was a there was a, a a second, an even even close second. Uh, this would be tumbling dice, and it's basically flicking shuffleboard. <laughs> but the genius about it is um, that there are one, two, three, four, five um, cascading levels, and you on the top level is where you're the tee box, where you take your die six and you flick it down this kind of step. Uh, um, descending step cascade system and the last step before it's off the board um, are uh, equally divided little um, I call them the little times four islands and there are there's a square in each corner and one square in the middle and then there's spaces on either side that are the same distance so it's kind of like five equal spaces and three squares and three empties um, there are little posts at the end of the, the last two to help keep your die in play. But, uh, so what happens is, yeah, on your turn, you put your die down, you flick it. And, uh, on the, t- on the T box level, uh, it's basically the pip value times zero, because if you can't get it out of the T box area, you suck. <laughs> the next one, obviously times one times two times three. And then these last little islands are times four of your pip value. And uh, I think you know where I'm going here. You have five, five D6 dies to go. And uh, you could play this game like Crokinole. You could play it to whatever point value, play to 100. Or you can play it to whoever wins that round gets a check mark. And it's the first to three check marks kind of thing. Um, this is another one of those family-friendly games uh, that uh, it's, yeah, again, the, the uh, it's a developed skill set because... Uh, it's just, yeah, you, you got to play it to be, to be not necessarily be good at it, but play it to have a feel for it. And, uh, this one is always enjoyed by many. And, uh, yeah. So those are the three that I got to show, teach and, uh, play over the, uh, Christmas. Um, I think this was actually Boxing Day. So that being said, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to, you know, have a listen to what we've been playing and hopefully we've uh, convinced you to go get some games. And of course, to the content creators, especially this week, because, you know, holiday season, we all, we're all busy. And uh, I am very appreciative to those people who took the time and uh, popped something in there. And of course, to the rest of the uh, What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, we're getting to the end of the year. Thank you so much for an entire year of uh, contributions, quality content, and of course costing me some money because I've gone out and bought so many games because of the recommendations and positive uh, reviews from the uh, the collaborators 
on what you've been playing Wednesday. So thank you. Always, always. I totally appreciate it. Uh, you guys are all awesome. And uh, that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And we have one game to talk about this week. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That game is The Touring Machine, designed by Fabian Gradel and Yuan Levitt, art by Sebastian Bezos, and published by Scorpio Masquet. Yeah, Touring Machine. Um, yeah, not The Touring Machine, my mistake. Touring Machine. Yeah. So this is based off of a code-cracking, old-school punch card computing system. Um, this is... This is a very 